seems a web any size catch the seeds just like flies look out here comes the spider-man Hello and welcome again to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. This is episode number five of the show. My name is John Wilson. With me today are Josh Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and Zach Henderson. But before we rejoin the conversation, I would like to point out to you that if you visit our website, amazingspiderman.libson.com, in the notes for this episode, you will see a link to a research survey being conducted by a friend of a friend regarding podcast listening habits. And you're a podcast listener. So if you'd like to help out with the project, you may click that link and take about 10 minutes or less of your time to fill out the survey. And now I'm going to rejoin the conversation with the guys where we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man issue number five. That was released the next week on July 9th, 1963 with a cover date of October. So Zach, tell us about this one. Amazing Spider-Man number five. We begin with Jonah Jameson trashing Spidey on the TV. The teens are at the bowling alley during the Spider-Man trashing. Peter decides to talk against Spider-Man so no one will suspect him of being Spider-Man, like that's really a problem. (laughs) During all this, Doctor Doom is watching the same report on Spidey. Doctor Doom is complaining about the Fantastic Four, and he thinks that with Spider-Man's help, he can finally defeat them. So he builds a device to transmit... A message to Spider-Man through Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. Which really, I hate it when they do that. There's another person who hated it, but we'll go over that later. Okay. No. (laughs) Uh, In his room, Peter is practicing his web work when he receives Doom's message. So Spider-Man follows his Spider-Sense to Doctor Doom's lair and confronts Doom. Doom tries to get Spider-Man to join him, but Spider-Man says no and webs up Doom. But it's not Doom. It's a robot made to look like Doom. Doom Doombot! Then Doom opens a trap door beneath Spidey. But Spider-Man doesn't fall in. They fight and Spider-Man gets thrown out of a window. So Doom decides that he will find Spider-Man's identity and he blows up his lair. The next day, Peter sells some photo of the explosion to J. Jonah Jameson and tells him he attacks Spidey too much. Flash Thompson decides that it would be really funny to dress up as Spider-Man and scare Peter. And while waiting for Peter, Flash gets kidnapped by Dr. Doom. Doom goes on TV and tells the Fantastic Four if they do not disband and surrender to him, he will kill Spider-Man. Liz calls Peter and tells him about Flash, so Peter suits up and heads off. He sneaks into Doom's new Dude, lair. you missed the best part of the issue. <laughs> what, what, was, what was Peter's first reaction before suiting off yeah, Flash? Oh, yeah. He's like, dude, this is perfect. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and let Flash die. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's the best part of the whole issue. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Liz calls Peter and tells him about Flash, so Peter suits up and heads off, and he sneaks into Doom's new lair. The two battle. After a long, drawn-out fight with Doom and Doom robots and gadgets... The Fantastic Four four show up, so Doom runs away. Spider-Man leaves, and the Fantastic Four save Flash. J. Jonah Jameson isn't too happy to hear that he doesn't have any pics of the event. And uh, Flash is gloating about how he beat the crap out of Doctor Doom and stuff like that. Okay. Starting with the cover, what do you guys think of the cover? As I flip it to the cover, it it is... I thought it was kind of cool because Spider-Man's web is broken and he's falling onto the floor plate and like there's a wa- there's like a control attached to the floor plate that goes over to this like foot pedal that I guess Doctor David just pressed and I'm not entirely sure why he's shooting the floor there besides the obvious reason of letting the readers know that he has finger guns but he's just like randomly shooting the floor before Spider-Man he's shooting lands. Shooting the floor because Spider-Man I-, I I got the feeling that Spider-Man was like jumping to dodge his blast. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Spider-Man, you were on the floor two seconds earlier. You and your jumping. <laughs> I don't really know much about Doctor Doom, but I assume that his he's in a metal suit, right? Right. Yeah. Does he have a big metal suit? 
Wow. Is that why he has to wear clothes or? Yes, Zach. That's why he. That's why he wears the clothes. Like that. That's exactly why. <laughs> Just a thought. It was explained in Fantastic Four number number uh, five, actually. Well, that's when we do Fantastic Four classics podcast. Yeah, I like how on the cover he says, "This is your finish, Spider-Man." If the Fantastic Four themselves could not stop me, what chance have you? Yeah, that's a and, lie because he says he says in the issue. Well, the Fantastic Four are coming to a standstill. I, I know, know, right? Like that's the first thing well, he says. But at this point, the Fantastic Four, I don't think Doom's ever actually been captured. It's been like a thing where he's gone away a different time each thing. Like he got shrunk once, and then at the beginning of each story, he'll say what happened how from his defeat. He's like, ah, but after I was shrunk, I became leader of an army of Adam people. I, I'm not making this up. <laughs> no, I know, I know you're <laughs> I just think how it's funny how on the cover he says, if the Fantastic Four could not stop me, but then his second speech balloon on the inside is, each time I attack the Fantastic Four in the past, they have fought me to a standstill. I talked about last podcast how issue four, we get a name for both Betty and Liz, but we only get Betty's last name and Liz's first name. Within the splash page of the first issue, we get Betty's first name and Liz's last names, respectively. And I'm going to go out on that rant again. It's Alan, A-L-L-A-N. And even the official Marvel handbook say that that is the right spelling, that when it's spelled with an E, it's the wrong spelling. So, so if you're listening notes. to this podcast and you're an aspiring Spider-Man writer, spell Liz's name correctly next time they use her in the episode. The writers still get it wrong to this day. I do like <laughs> that splash page, especially as a kid I liked it, because it's like, oh, this is all the people, and I could go through and name all the faces and stuff. It was... But here's the thing, can you, can you name Flash Thompson, Liz Allen, and their assorted classmates, you know, the most the most crucial of Spider-Man supporting cast. Well, there's ass, there's sorted, and there's classmates. I mean, there, there are three, three, three people right there. Uh, Betty, we're, we're very bad woman. Betty looks a lot younger than she did last issue, because I guess they decided, ah, oh, let's make Betty the romantic interest instead of Liz, because that seemed to be what they were pushing for last issue. Because she's course, a girl. Because Peter all of a sudden notices, like, this issue, wait a minute, Betty's hot. <laughs> it's like, and that's how it happens in the issue. He's like, wait, Betty's kind of hot. Pretty girl is nice to me. Must fall in love. Okay, um, Scott Gardner, fast forward the podcast a minute or two. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Okay, a few John Byrne-related things. First of all, a lot of people on the internet keep on crediting John Byrne with the creation of the Doombots in his Fantastic Four run, to which I always say, Amazing Spider-Man, issue 5. You get a Doombot. I thought there Uh, were Doombots in Fantastic Four before this. Yeah, there were, but, like, I I point to this one, too, because some people say, you know, John Byrne created the Doombots. I'm like, no, he didn't. Uh, That's nothing against John Byrne, I'm just saying. But in Chapter 1, a few things about this story. Uh, John Byrne also noticed that Doctor Doom uses the same thing that the Chameleon does, the summoning Spider-Man's spider sense. So John Byrne even said in interviews that he thought it was stupid that they both had the same device, so he decided to retcon it that in Chapter 1, the Chameleon was working for Doctor Doom. (laughs) (laughs) I am sorry, Scott Gardner. It is relevant right now. I can... But he was working for the Russians, not for Doctor Doom. Well, or I, did, well, I yeah, guess if you're, you're going to change that whole part of the story, you can change. Did, it did he not? Did he not like the alliteration in their names and change change the spelling of Peter Parker and J. Jonah Jameson or something? <laughs> did, um, did he not like that? He also went. He also changed kind of the timeline of when Mary Jane discovered that Peter was Spider-Man because all the other stuff says that it was during Amazing Fantasy 15. He has it here when Spider-Man's going after Doctor Doom because it's like it's a it's a late 90s, early 2000 thing. So when Mary Jane sees him going out the window, she has like a, a 90s style Walkman with the tape cassette and everything. Nice. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> so, man. Uh, but yeah, okay, that's the that's the John Byrne reference for okay. how that story was updated. Hey, uh, the, hey, Scott, put your headphones back in. He, if his headphones were out, he can't hear you say, "Put your headphones back in." I love how Doctor Doom. Don't says don't the don't fan- don't correct me when I'm wrong. I'll I'll come over there and show you what's up. Oh, you'd be quiet. <laughs> I love how Dr. Doom's like, the fantastic car, and then he adds, with the fantastic four inside? <laughs> <laughs> with the pizza guy. Aunt May, uh, she kind of has a dark side, because when um, they see Flash Thompson on TV captured, she's like, oh my god, they're going to kill that person. Oh well, thank goodness it's only Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of dark. Like, Aunt May's like, well, it's Spider-Man, so he can... I mean, this is the woman who, in the 80s, she broke up with her fiancé for a few months because he let a criminal die by the police. Right. Although oh she, did later, she did later tell the vulture to go to H-E double hockey sticks, but then she said she was sorry. I'm so sorry, I swear to you. Now, yeah. now for the best part of the issue... Um, oh, yes. <laughs> this is Liz! Something terrible has happened! Flash Thompson, he's missing! He had just in a Spider-Man costume last night to play a joke on someone. Aha, I guess I, that somebody was me. So that's who Dr. Doom was holding prisoner. My loud mouth bullying classmate. Sorry, Liz, nothing I can do about it. Flash is exactly ahead of my list of favorite people, remember? What a break for me! The FF will never agree to Doom's terms. I'll do a T out of it, keep out of it, and Flash Thompson will never bother Peter Parker again. Things are finally going my way! <laughs> and the look on the face that he has <laughs> is like the cat who caught the canary. He's like, he's downright evil. He's like, <laughs> he must want to be tensing his fingers. <laughs> he's like, I mean, and realistically, I mean, yeah, a teenager would have that thought. But I, I do, I do like how when he when he goes back and says, you know, I really gotta save him. It's it's in that split face spider mask, and the spider mask is the one who decides to do the right thing. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That, you could have switched it up, but, you know. That's one of the better uses of the half Spider-Man, half Parker face that Ditko does. Oh, it's, it's, a great, it's a great usage. This is the first time that Flash Thompson impersonates Spider-Man, which that a lot of people consider that, like, one of those big deals about Spider-Man stories that Flash Thompson will impersonate Spider-Man, but it doesn't actually happen all that much. It's only been only a handful of times. times. Well, throughout the 60s and 70s, this is the only time I can remember it happening. Um, he does it again around the, you know, the 20s issues and stuff. Yeah. For the fan club meeting they do? No, no. It went, uh, after the fan club, when Spider-Man was a disgrace. Flash oh, that's him. right. Yeah, to, to show how... Yeah, I remember that now. Okay. Yeah. After There's that. There's also a couple of panels where uh, the spider in Spider-Man's chest and is missing. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Oh, Doctor Doom, he kind of threw that invention together quick. He's like, after Spider-Man, he's like, oh, well, this will be able to track him and figure out his secret identity and it's like dude well it science. has a giant ass spider in it that's like bigger than dr doom it could eat his face i love how they have the editor's note for what bmoc stands for <laughs> I, I didn't know as a kid Did oh, you, yeah, uh, I know, so i'm still waiting like the whole jameson rant at the beginning had talking about how spider-man should be imprisoned i'm still waiting for a reason he hasn't given a problem with Spider-Man. He just rants and says he's a menace. He's a danger to our people and throw him behind bars. And he I just you don't need no reason. He, he, need... Uh, he broke his son's shuttle, man. You know he stole that airplane from the Air Force guy. He's, he's webbing shot webbing on, on his uh, on his chair. Webbing yeah. the airline guy. Webbing the Air Force guy is the only thing I can think of that he's shown that's actually a legitimate offense. He stole Russian secrets, remember? I mean, no, he stole American secrets for the Russians. I just think that they could have put some of that in the speech bubbles. Like, give Jameson something to actually rant about besides, He's the menace! Expose Spider-Man to the public as the menace he is. 
it would be funny if Jameson had like really, even though Photoshop didn't exist back then, but like really bad Photoshop images. Of, like, <laughs> Look, here's Spider-Man with Castro. <laughs> and Peter's thinking, holy heck, have I been sleepwalking? Did I go to Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah, that would be totally, totally classic <laughs> stuff there. Peter Parker overcompensates for the <laughs> Spider-Man stuff. And I'm thinking that I might be wrong because I haven't read a lot of it. I haven't actually read a lot of instances where this happens, but in my head, this seems like the sort of thing that Clark Kent would do from this era. Like, to throw off the fact that he's Superman, he would, like, you know, speak out against him here in, in the crowd scene. I don't know. It gets even stranger, because there's an issue coming up where <laughs> there's an article about spiders in in the newspaper, and it's funny, because, like, it's, it's J. Jonah Jameson saying that spiders are dangerous, and that because spiders are dangerous, Spider-Man must be, too, which is expert journalism, and Peter makes a very, very good, you know, logic jump here, thinking, wait a second, if I gotta pretend that spiders are yucky, because if people think that I don't think spiders are yucky, then they'll realize I'm Spider-Man. So this, uh, uh Liz's crush starts here. We're gonna see that a lot further developed in the next issue. Isn't, isn't that, uh, oh, I, th- I thought that started in the next issue, but, um, there's actually one thing, like, you know, we gotta mention that the way Doom captures Flash is that Peter's walking alongside a, a sidewalk where the fence is on the other side of the Sidewalk and flashes way on the other side of the fence and to jump up and boo him. Yeah, and Doom Doom's machine grabs Flash, even though it sensed Peter. When Peter's spider sense go off, yeah. there wasn't actually any danger to him. Uh, but I at the same spider sense is still being developed. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that I could see a writer even today doing that either way, and people complaining about it on message boards. No matter which way it was done, people would complain. I know that Peter's very involved with himself, and maybe he can't hear, but Doctor Doom's got to be making some noise with that big heaping armor behind that like two-inch fence. Not to mention the the, not to mention that helicopter. <laughs> that lands right there on the other side of the fence. That the kids don't see either. I mean, granted, they're across the street, but you know. So I can see Peter Parker. He's bowling with the gang. You know, he's part of the crowd. And then he talks out about Spider Man and gets told off by Flash. So what does he do? He decides to go home and take off his clothes and start tossing on webs. And it's like, uh-huh. I guess that's just what you do. Well, that, that, you know, that's how it rolls. You know, you know, screw them. I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and you know remind myself I'm I'm the the legend Spider-Man. So and Doctor Jim when he's like I warn you if you are not with me then we are deadly foes and of course <laughs> yeah, this uh, this deadly foe status is exemplified by the massive number of times that Spider-Man and Doctor Jim have fought over the years. Especially in Amazing Spider-Man is Amazing Friends they fought that was, that was his main enemy. If you're not with me then you are my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> a what? A Sith. Uh, what? <laughs> Sounds like you got a little lisp there. Was, I was thinking of uh, George. Only Disney a Sith deals in absolutes. Are you sure? Absolute. Ah, oh, I see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Donovan was Doctor Doom here the main bad guy in the '90s series? No, no, not in the '90s series. And uh, I think it was actually the the 1980s series that was amazing. Friends. The time that it was well. There was a Spider-Man show like where it was just him, and uh, he fought like Doctor Doom and Magneto all the time, like not his own villains. Really? And Doctor, yeah, Doom showed up like twenty times. Because I was like, actually you know, being sarcastic. We don't. Spider-Man does not see Doctor Doom again until 1981. No, and, yeah, in the cartoon, he fought him. Like I could sure, I'm sure Brad or Mike could tell you. Like he fought him all the freaking time in those in those old cartoons. Okay, there's actually an annual Amazing Spider-Man Annual 14, which on the cover they they tout it as a Spider-Man Doctor Strange team up. 
against Doctor Doom and Dormammu. And mm. A, it's not a team up because Doctor Strange is tra- is imprisoned the entire story. And B, Spider Man never actually faces Doctor Doom or Dormammu. He faces a henchman. And so I was actually I was that's one of the few comics I've read that actually really ticked me off. I don't easily get upset by comics, but that one made me mad. Um, you get to the nineties. Yeah, you, you, you should be on Close Hunter Chronicles. Oh, I just got my oh yeah, I just got my trade paperback today. Um, so I'll be reading that and listening to the show soon. For those yeah. of you who don't know, the first Clone Saga chron- uh, trade paperback is available on Amazon.com for twenty three dollars. I paid full price for it at the shop because I'm a sucker. Zach, what do you got? Well. Let's see. It was good. Okay. I love how every single issue opens up with a big shirtless guy saying that you could look like this with only how many weeks did it say? For those of you who don't know. You're yeah, like, the ads. It's awesome. Like, mine has a splash page. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, what was Marvel's? <laughs> There's like little scrawny 10, 12-year-old boys like, I want to look like that. Yeah, you, you don't pay get only a dollar ninety eight, and you can look exactly like this. Fred Ward was like, "No, no." <laughs> but honey, that's a year's worth of shoelaces. But mom, I can look like this, <laughs> like this. <laughs> How many kids must have to... like sent away for that? No. So during the first Spider-Man Doctor Doom fight, there's a panel where Doctor Doom throws him, and instead of saying, "Hi, I'm so much stronger than you," or you know, my strength far surpasses your spider weakness or whatever something corny he goes on about his origin story like out of nowhere the accident which years ago made a shambles of my face didn't affect my strength at all as you can see i'm just like why are you talking about that we're fighting i don't care what your face i can't see your face you got me monologuing (laughs) after the fight spidey falls out the window and to me it would make perfect sense for the story to end there because Spider-Man has found out that he was called by Dr. Doom and he doesn't care about Dr. Doom. And Dr. Doom's not doing anything bad, so I'm going to go live my life somewhere else and let the Fantastic Four deal with him. Dr. Doom has realized that Spider-Man is not going to join him to help fight the Fantastic Four, so he should have no further interest in Dr. Doom. But do they do this? No. They continue to pursue each other like maniacs. And it's just... His his name's Dr. Doom. <laughs> uh, okay, I have a question. Why does he just blow up his lab for no reason? I mean, he could sell it and at least get money. <laughs> that's like it's the like, supervillain thing. It's like, oh well, I've been compromised, dude. It's like that's like a real estate nightmare. What are you doing? Uh, All the technology like, and stuff like, that you've you know, done there. I'm gonna show like, you. I'm gonna come back in there. <laughs> Well, at this point, Latveria hasn't been established yet, but, you know, we now know, well, I mean, this guy's got his whole, uh, his own country. He doesn't care about a measly lab. And I love how in, in page 12, we get more examples of the Fantasy support being utter dicks because they're like, oh, we, we don't have much more time for you. We're still wasting time to decide. What are we going to do? Uh, Blast and amateurs always come with the worst. It's like, shut up. What, does anything annoy you? I mean, I'm not an FF, F4 reader, but do they always, like, bitch and moan about everything they have to get involved with? <laughs> kind of. They really bickered a lot in those early issues. They still kind yeah, of They complain it. about every single thing. Like, like the, the thing like, why get out It's like, dude, get off, get off your rock ass and help this guy out. And then they show up and, like, they're like, oh, I'm going to punch him. It's it's like, wait yeah. a second, I've seen Spider-Man up close. And it's like, whoa now. So, so I, was we kind all... of, I was kind of expecting uh, Bertone to go into an irony rant because you have, you know, Peter, Flash is going to play a trick on Peter. 
by dressing up as Spider-Man. But oh wait, Doctor Doom is going to catch Spider-Man, and he gets attracted to Peter. But oh wait, Flash Thompson is Spider-Man, so he's going to get caught instead. And now Spider-Man's going to have to go save him. I just expected you to go off on that. Josh. Oh, no, no, no. There's a few more irony rants, especially at the end of issue six with something that Peter says. Okay. <laughs> Where did Flash get a Spider-Man costume? Oh, the girls made it He for says him. that the girls put it together, so... Oh, well, um, they would, I don't know, but... I'm guessing that it's... I'm guessing that it might have been Sally, because, I mean, she put together the Bluebird costume in Untold Tales, so... Yeah, I think that he's able to come up with the costumes way too easily. When I was reading this as a, as a kid, every time I read this issue, my, my interest kind of faded during the second fight. I don't really care much for that fight. I feel like it's, you know, gadget after gadget and gimmick after gimmick. So on page 12, where it says... Let's face it, you've struggled through one of the longest introductions you've ever read. We think you'll find it well worth it, because now the fireworks begin in earnest. My response actually is that the book becomes much less interesting for me after that point. It's a big fight scene. And, and Ditko, I think, I think uh, some, sometimes he's a good, he's a good uh, fight artist, and other times like the, like the, like the, the action is just so far away from the camera, it kinda, you kind of lose interest. Yeah, it's, it's just a wonky fight. I use that word wonky a lot, but it really for me encapsulates 60s comics. I love how he's apologizing for setup. It's like, you know, that he feels bad that it's a scene that's not action. It's like, oh my gosh, if he saw comic books now. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much good stuff that happens in those first 12 pages. So many good character moments and the stuff with Flash trying to pull a trick on him. I mean, that's just like really awesome story. Not to pull the curtain back, but it is actually kind of how I feel about uh, issue 8 with, with the living brain. I'm, I'm more interested in like, the Flash and Peter stuff than chasing the stinking robot. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't like issue 8. Well, because but... it's like they led up to that for so long, you know. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, it, every, issue, every issue, Peter says, you know, God, I would just love to punch Flash in the face. So, webbing in this issue is conductive. Don't they, don't they do later they decide that webbing is not conductive? Uh, it's for the convenience of plots. I thought it was always conductive. Okay, maybe maybe I'm misremembering. I thought I remembered somewhere where he was using it as an insulator. When uh, we're talking about Stacey's comics, you're not misremembering. The writers are misremembering. <laughs> it depends on the convenience of plot, once again. So on the last page, uh, Liz calls Flash a He-Man. And I did not quite... It didn't quite compute in my head, because no one explained to me where my Spider-Man reprints had come from and what the history was behind them. I just know I had these books with Spider-Man stories. And it didn't quite compute that she was using the word He-Man before the cartoon used it. So I just figured she was copying the cartoon because <laughs> cartoons called He-Man, and that's where He-Man comes from. And I, I shouldn't now, blame you for being a real, jealous of a real master of the universe like Flash. <laughs> <laughs> now I wonder when that phrase came to be used for like an uber alpha male type character. When did they start calling called He-Man? 1963. 1963. Liz it created that. it. Liz. <laughs> Stan Lee coined the term. Got a comment about the letters page. Yeah, somebody wrote in saying that it would be cool if uh, Peter was teamed up with a reporter who happened to be J. Jonah Jameson's daughter and how ironic it would be if she was helping him. I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. There's so many suggestions from those people that I'm just like, I'm so glad uh -huh. that you didn't listen to this. They're going to suggest a character, I, I said this before, that's going to become very close to Mary Jane. I, I, and that's coming soon. I don't remember. Also on the letters page, which is called The Spider's Web, by the way, if we haven't said it. This is actually some of the first real criticism the book has received. Everything up to this point has really been kind of praise. But Richard Cohen complained that too many Marvel villains were brilliant scientists. Dan Fleming likes Steve Ditko's art, except that he can't draw feet right. Have y'all ever had their reaction to, stand it, to Steve Ditko's art that he can't draw feet? I don't care not, about it's feet. Not, it's not life-filled, bad. Okay. And Donovan, you had opinions about John Duffy's lettering. 
Dan Fleming. Well, like, I, I, John, I thought John Duffy's letter was so like utterly boring. Yeah. But uh, who's who's the letter in this issue? Let me go see. Come on, I can't flip the space. But um, Sam, yeah, Sam Rosen and Artie Simon are like the. I think Sam Rosen sticks on the lettering for a longer time. Um, yeah, Sam and, and Art are the two main letterers through most of the 60s and 70s. Yeah, they're, they're, they're much better. But I mean, the, they're they're so legendary that even Ultimate Peter Parker was writing them fan mail. Yeah, I caught that. <laughs> and Paul Mosslander was one of the people to complain about Ditko's drawing in the Fantastic Four, which may have been part of the impetus for the uh, redo of the story. So there is an ad for Sergeant Fury, issue three, first the Fantastic Four, and now, in the same inimitable style, by the same writer and artist, another group of fabulous characters. Battle action, fighting men, as only the Marvel Comics group can present them. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see how you can compare superhero comics to war comics. They're just not the same thing. Well, if, if Stan Lee does it, then he'll always make it exciting. I, I, I'm not reading not Nick Fury, but if I heard it's either pretty spooky. It is the first war comic that Marvel had since 1960 when Battle was canceled. So they, they went three years without any war comics. And there's another ad for the annuals that we talked about and for the first issue of The X-Men, which had been on shelves for a week by this point. So that was Amazing Spider-Man 5. Just one, one quick thing. One, one ad I saw that I thought was funny. There's a little ad that says you can get 1,001 1, things for free for 50 cents. There's 1,001 <laughs> random crap things. Think of all the shoelaces. for free. <laughs> but the list is 50 cents. Oh, awesome. I just thought that was funny. Where to find free stuff. Pay 50 cents and then Dude, good luck. there's so much scams in these old comics. Boys, <laughs> girls, men, women. If you know just 20 people, you can make $50. More likely, 100 to $200 in your spare time. This sounds like they're trying to scam these kids. I'm pretty sure that grit was a pyramid scheme. Well, you mentioned that there was some kind of hypno wheel. Hypno coin? Wheel. Yeah. Let me my jaw drop. I was like, "You're serious." <laughs> I don't know if there, I don't think there's one in this issue, but there is one in another issue we're going to be doing this week. Stanley probably got most of his plot ideas <laughs> from like <laughs> looking from looking at these ads. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amazing Spider-Man number six hit the stands on August eighth, nineteen sixty-three, with a cover date of November. Dynamic cover with the lizard and Spider-Man both on walls in a silo fighting. The inverted orientations of the characters are kind of cool, in my opinion. It says, half man, half reptile, the lizard will take over all of Earth, unless Spider-Man alone can stop him. It also says, the Marvel Age of Comics is here, which is a banner that Marvel started putting on their comics, referencing the Marvel Age of Comics, as opposed to the Golden Age of Comics. Why do people want, like, once you take over the Earth, what are you going to do with it? It's always like villains, like, motivation is to take over the world, and, like, it's, 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 it's most fun if you have it in your possession, I guess. So. It's it's uh, the having that's more... Okay. Anyway, that's just random thought. So the story is titled Face to Face with the Lizard. The people of the Florida Everglades are being terrorized by a man-sized reptile that talks and wears clothes. It's bulletproof and super strong, and the rumors make their way up to New York. Where Spider-Man reads in the Daily Bugle that J. Jonah Jameson is challenging Spider-Man to defeat the lizard. As Peter Parker, he goes to the Bugle to find out if JJJ wants to send him to get photos, but JJJ doesn't even believe there is such a creature. He only printed that headline for the publicity. Peter has a little run-in with Betty on the way out the door. Too bad, Peter. I think he should have sent you to cover the lizard story. It might be a real scoop. Thanks, Betty. Sure wish you were the publisher instead of just being his secretary. There's a story. There's a story in there somewhere. Like <laughs> Betty gets control of the bugle. Oh yes. Actually, Domin- spoiler alert. That is that. That's kind of happened now in a roundabout way. 
Has it? The bugle is like still existing, but now it's a blog that Betty Brand's doing. Really? Oh, yeah. I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah, Weird. she's like she's she's bugle girl now because the Daily Bugle went tumbling down. Well, it totally makes sense because newspapers don't really function very well anymore. It, it would make sense for the Daily Bugle to go away. But anyways, uh, so Peter decides It'll be to... back, and we both know it. Yeah, it will. It has before. Peter decides to get a self-education on lizards, so he starts with the dinosaur exhibit at the Natural History Museum, <sighs> which, by the way, is a really awesome exhibit if any of you ever has a chance to go to New York. Except dinosaurs aren't lizards. Well, there's that. They're reptiles. I mean, the, the, no, well, even that's debated now. Now they're thinking that they might not be reptiles, but this was the early 60s, so... Yes. I mean, Stanley doesn't know physics. I can't expect him to know dinosaurs, and the understanding of dinosaurs was a lot different back then. The exhibit does serve as some explanation of how the lizard's power set works. And, of course, since this is, after all, New York City, home to millions, with the National History Museum getting thousands of clients every day, Peter Parker naturally runs into Flash and Liz while he's there. Here's what he gets one Peter Parker is there, and Flash and Liz are already there. And then Flash makes fun of Peter for being there. <laughs> yes. You get you get the feeling that Liz drag Flash there because she's like, hush, Flash, I want to hear the lecture, so... Right. Flash is like... Like, like, well, wouldn't you know it? I guess I, I figured you'd be I like, shut up. Where are you, punk? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why are you here? For plot reasons, dork. <laughs> <laughs> so during the lecture, two crooks are trying to mosey their way out of the building, muttering about having stolen a ruby. Because if I'm trying to leave silently, I'm going to talk about the ruby I just stole. Peter gets a spider sense tingle and sneaks off to the bathroom to strip down to his spidey suit. But the crooks notice his suspiciousness. So while he was gone, they pulled guns and took Liz Allen hostage. A-L-L-A-N. But Spider-Man does what a spider can. He knocks out the hoods and lifts Liz Allen off the floor where she had fallen. Tossing off a little bit of flirt, calling Liz blue eyes, he swings off to change to Peter before Flash or anyone else can wonder where he is. Now, Liz is caught up in her crush, paying no attention to Flash because of Spider-Man's strong arms and calling her blue eyes. Just at that moment, which seems at least a little bit convenient, Peter overhears someone's portable radio talking about why Spider-Man hasn't gone after the lizard. So Peter resolves to push the issue with Jonah. Dude, that kid in that portable radio, he, he he walks all around for the convenience supply. Like, he shows up next issue, too. <laughs> it's always the same guy with the portable radio. <laughs> He's, like, waiting in the wings, and then it's like, okay, quick, walk by Peter now. It's, it's, like, it's like a video game, like, just when you need it, the thing will pop up. And we talked about last podcast, Liz's dress. Yeah, she's still I, I dressing like she's a debutante. But, like, <laughs> like, like Flash and Peter look kind of modern, but she looks like she's, like, now in the 1800s, what is it with this girl? I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's well. That's one of the cool things about Ramita is that he comes in and brings you know like pretty girls and hip styles and everything into the into the look of the show. During the um, but during his initial run on classic Spider-Man, he never drew Liz. <laughs> no, that's true. He didn't do Liz. He just did you know an improvement on the girl look in general. Yeah. When she came on, it was it was a uh, Ross Andrew. That sounds right. Um, so not long after this, Jonah gets a visit from Spider-Man, who tells him that he's going to Florida to challenge the lizard, and advises JJJ to send a photographer. He leaves Jonah dangling from the ceiling by a web, and Jonah orders Betty to put some pillows underneath him, but the web breaks before she can. So I guess <laughs> this is before, I guess, the one-hour time limit came out, although... It's used in the next issue, so... Exactly five minutes later, Peter returns in normal clothes and is about to, ask Betty something, 
when Jonah calls him into the office to let him know they will both be going to Florida. Cockblocked. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> not the first, not the last time, I should not say. Not the last time. They will both be going to Florida to get the story on the lizard. Jameson's company was, of course, unexpected. So at home, Aunt May forbids Peter to go to Florida. You want to go to Florida with that horrible lizard running loose down there? Oh, no, Peter. It's out of the question. But Mr. Jameson is going with me. You mean J. Jonah Jameson, the nice man you do part-time work for? Oh, in that case, I suppose it's all right. I know that he'll take good care of you. He's like a big, fat guardian angel, Aunt May. And they fly out the next day. On the flight, Peter reads about Dr. Curtis Connors, a reptile expert local to the region. When they land in Florida, Peter makes an excuse to leave Jameson behind and changes to Spider-Man. He goes to the blocked-off lizard area to scope it out and is attacked by the lizard, who ends up flinging Spider-Man across the park with his tail. Spider-Man realizes he's now near Dr. Connors' house, so he goes to talk to the doctor, but finds only his wife, in tears, who claims that Dr. Connors is the lizard by the way that's not how houses in florida are like we don't it's not all in the middle of like there, there's like a house in the middle of freaking nowhere right <laughs> <laughs> and a really huge one too that is towering over the trees yeah it's like well florida everglades so yeah there's no houses on the everglades you cannot build a house on the everglades it's swamp right let's go <laughs> <laughs> just saying i've driven through the everglades i mean not on it but you know across it it's it that's not how it works that's not how it works so let the secret origin commence (laughs) curtis connors was a surgeon but lost his right arm in the war since this he has studied reptile life with the belief that reptilian limb regeneration can be made possible for humans when he had a serum he believed could work he did the only logical thing And by logical, I mean extremely stupid, unprofessional, and of course dangerous. He tries the serum on himself. Now, his right arm did grow back, but then it turned green and scaly, and soon his entire body had taken on reptilian characteristics. After some initial freaking out, he tried to work on a cure, but his mind had become too dulled and changed. He leaves a note and runs away. (laughs) I love that panel. (laughs) I love that panel with the lizard running away. <laughs> He's got the lizard tear. <laughs> never come back. Like, 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 that's what, that's, you know, I've heard of crocodile tears, but this is ridiculous. Did <laughs> it? <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the, the way this dawn is just kind of funny to me. No, no, it's great. It's great. If this was a modern retelling with the exact same, you know, writing, all the all this, the letters would be scratchy and scrawly and probably have some Hulk style really bad grammar in it. No, As it is, it's a pretty. He'd be Twittering it to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to do a lizard Twitter. Um, So Mrs. Connors finishes her story at the same moment that Billy screams from outside because the lizard is in their yard. Spider-Man swings in and catches Billy, leaving him perched in a tree because that's safe. He tries to fight the lizard, but the lizard's scaly skin is rock hard. When Martha cries out for Billy, the lizard dashes off. Back at the Connors' home, Peter Parker employs his junior year high school level science knowledge on Dr. (laughs) Connors' advanced genetics research notes. It's a good thing he's a science major in high school, right? After hours of work, not days, weeks, or years, but hours later, Peter has worked out what he believes is an antidote to the genetic solution Dr. Connors had used earlier. And, coincidentally, just at that time, the lizard attacks the house! You are the one who does not fear me! 
Once I destroy you, all mankind will tremble before the lizard. So now we have the guy's motivation. He just wants everyone to be afraid of him. He throws a desk at Spider-Man and thinks his work is done. So he leaves, planning to feed his serum to other lizards and build a mighty lizard army. Now I want to see like already lizards. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to turn them into more lizards? The there. I want to see like a flow chart for his plan here because like with three boxes of arrows, lizard army leads to something which leads to profit. And yeah. I want to know what's in that middle box. <laughs> but you make the lizards, then you get the money, then you get the women. By the way, you're talking about how Peter worked on this really quickly and how, you know, it's against Kirk Connor's advanced stuff. Uh, spoiler alert, but I mean, it, it's not like it works. I mean, you know, Kirk Connors, becomes, <laughs> Kirk Connors becomes the lizard again like 90 times, you know, so. I didn't think about I that. mean, Peter's antidote wasn't really that good. It's And there's but, never even an explanation of like, you know, about why it happens again. It's usually like sometimes it's as little as him becoming stressed or like a chemical spilling on him. Right. It's really pretty random. Um, of course, Spider-Man's fine. The, the, the desk, even though it was made of nice heavy oak, didn't really hurt him. Or maybe it was like a Target furniture that was all made of particle board. Um... It's Everglades. Oh, it's Everglade trees. Okay. So after all, I mean, Spider-Man had to be fine because he has like 621 more amazing issues to do, right? So he takes the antidote and sets out into the... And what is the word for this? Is this a forest? The it's supposed to be the Everglades. I know, and but what is the Everglades? Spanish, and there's an old Spanish fort. There. I know. There's a lot of Spanish forts in Florida. We have like you know places called Fort Myers and everything else, but it's there's no big old. Unless somebody who knows more about the Everglades can correct me, I'm 90 percent sure that there's no old Spanish fort in the Everglades. I think that this is what this story needed was ruins of an old abandoned Spanish fort. That hasn't been turned into a tourist attraction. But actually, I thought the Spanish War was kind of boring when I was a kid. Um, he finds the lizard telling his master plan to some alligators. And the alligators seem to think that it's pretty cool. But Spider-Man gets into trouble when the masonry to which he's sticking crumbles under his weight because it's old. And so the lizard sees him. Thus ensues some good old-fashioned punchy-punchy talk-talk, including a pursuit up a tower in the fort, which was the scene on the cover. The end comes when the lizard is running up the wall after Spider-Man, but Spidey jumps back down past the lizard, grabbing his tail and giving it a good yank with all the power of gravity behind him. He and the lizard land with Spider-Man on top, and Spider-Man forces the antidote down his throat. Oh, God. Oh, God. That came out way more suggestive than I meant to do. (laughs) There's there's no other way to. <laughs> oh. Dude, look at Spider-Man in the t- in the in the first panel of uh page. Hold on. 18. Yeah, no, it, it's 19. Yeah, it's page 19. Well, 19. It says 19 on the story, but like that first panel where he's like hanging upside down by his knees and. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh that's very um. I'm leaving this alone. <laughs> okay, oh, so where was the serum works. No, it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, yes, in the story it does, but it's like, no, it doesn't. He turns into the lizard again 90 more times. So after a couple more pot shots, the lizard keels over and changes back to human, the once again one-armed Dr. Connors. Spider-Man takes the doctor back home to a tearful reunion with his wife, and together they burn all his reptilian research so that this nightmare will never, ever 
happen again ever and that was forever. the last appearance of the connor's family until issue 44 no well ever. not even that until like the 30s the current connor's comes back yeah he, he helps him uh with aunt may in the master planner yeah and, and, and spider-man's a back. jerk about it by the way because he's like oh i don't know he's like hey i know that you're the lizard and i never told anybody mm. like spider-man blackmailing some guy <laughs> Now, all this has happened in the space of several hours, but it is now late. So Peter waits until the next day to find J. Jonah Jameson, whom he hasn't seen since initially arriving at the airport. Peter shows JJJ the pics of the lizard, and at first Jonah is amazed. But when he asks how Peter got them, Peter, like a bonehead, makes up a story about an old Indian guide. Jonah accuses him of buying fakes and tears up all the photos. They catch the next flight back to New York, where a weary Peter Parker is faced with chores to do. First, he tries to call Liz for a date because Betty's working late. But Liz gets mad that Peter is tying Liz up. Liz Allen with an E, by the way. Oh yes, Liz A L L E N gets mad that Peter is tying up her line while she's waiting for Spider-Man to call her. It has, of course, been two days. But Liz doesn't want the line to be busy when her Dream Man phones. No call waiting. <laughs> and we end on a note at the bugle where Betty opens a note from Spider-Man received in the mail, which reads, Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm still at large, so fooey to you. Which, of course, sets off Jolly Jonah. The end. With a tease for the vulture in the next issue. Yeah. Well, but you forgot that before he calls Liz, he's thinking, oh, I'm going to call Betty. Oh, no, no, wait, not wait, her. Wait, yeah, wait, so that's like the beginning of the whole Liz-Betty love triangle. Yes. Oh. Speaking of love triangles, oh no! She thinks Spider-Man has a crush on her, so she won't waste time dating plain, ordinary Peter from Dolesville. Only a guy with my nutty luck can end up being his own competition! Another oh. instance where Peter Parker is nothing like Superman. Yeah, look at that. He's his own competition. This has never been done before. But isn't it ironic? Because you see, Liz doesn't want to have anything to do with Peter because she's waiting for Spider-Man to call. But wait a minute. (laughs) Spider-Man is Peter. (laughs) Oh, Liz, if you only knew the truth. I also find this funny, too, because Liz's feelings on (laughs) Spider-Man do a complete reversal over the years to the point where, like, she hates him. Like, so yeah. much. I mean, because Spider-Man showed up at her apartment after the reading of her husband's will to say, hey, your husband's alive. And she's like, get the heck out of my apartment. I'm just he reading. Kind of, kind of beats up her husband on a, on a, on a monthly basis. So. Just this morning, I was reading the first of uh, the Molten Man two-parter from the end of 2008, because I'm trying to catch up on my brand new day stuff. And uh, I haven't read the second issue. Sorry, I haven't reread the second issue yet when Spider-Man actually shows up. But now I'm going to be curious to see how Liz responds. Well, I mean, in the 90s, she hated Spider-Man. And after Civil War, when Peter unmasked, like, she betrays Peter. Does because, she really? Yeah, she betrays Peter to uh, to, to the villains because, uh, well, they, they were holding little Normie hostage. But, at, but, I mean, but before, like, while she was pretending to be his friend... She still let him have it. She's like, you know, how, you know, all this death that followed us because of you. She, because it's funny because both Liz and Betty, there's a lot of parallels with them. They both became goblin widows, although Ned was never really the goblin, but that's another story. They both had people in their life die because of Peter being Spider-Man. They both, they both dated Flash Thompson, etc. But Liz and Betty both had very different reactions to Peter being Spider-Man. Well, maybe they had the reactions in the different order because at first Betty really hated Spider-Man. After her yeah. brother dies. Yeah. One of one of the coolest lines after the Spider-Man unmasking, I thought, was Betty's like, my life makes so much more sense now. I just thought it's that really summed up um, her story. Since, since they both have the name Elizabeth and Betty starts off, you know, really not liking Spider-Man because of what happened to her brother. And Liz is the one when, when you last see her after the graduation, she says, you know, 
oh, I'm going to be a working girl. I'm trying to be more mature now. And then you, you get years later when they're all adults and, you know, Bay's matured and Liz is the one kind of, you know, kind of screws them over. So it's an interesting parallel. It's an interesting dichotomy between the two Elizabeths. Yeah, it's, it's like opposite correlations or something. I don't know. Yeah, so it's, it's like opposite ends of the stick. The bedded, yeah, Betty and Liz, I mean, that's like, it's really interesting parallels. And um, I'm 90% sure that it's funny because they hated each other so much but when betty leaves ned like in the 190s the 180s like after she runs off from peter i think liz makes a comment that betty's uh staying with her at her apartment and it's like wait what yeah it's like peter and flash <laughs> the only specific note i have i have a couple of general notes but the only specific note i have is uh page two the opening caption a superhero is nothing without a supervillain as far as you know from a creator standpoint i really agree with that statement because you can come up with a cool idea for a character but if you don't have a good story to tell about the character then you don't really have a point and in the superhero genre original supervillains are a big part of that storytelling so you know it's a random comment thrown in by stan lee but i'm like yeah that's really pretty much true yeah i mean this is the first villain that spider-man goes up where he like he literally cannot find him like he like lose has always been like one of the most ferocious foes he has where you know he can't punch him he 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 always gets beat up by him, so he has to get that serum on him or he's going to get his, his butt handed to him. Hey, Zach, we haven't heard from you yet. What did you uh, think about the lizard? Interesting looking. I know this is the original, so... Right, it is, his just, looks uh, changed a lot over the years. This, this is before he has a big crocodile beak. Yeah, this really... I thought he more looked more like a green thing. Than a lizard. Well, yeah. Yeah, he he's, his snout's going to evolve because he has a really small snout here. Right. And he's a lot more intelligent here than he gets in the later appearances. Like, they make him more like the Hulk later, where it's like, ah, lizard angry, lizard speaking third person. Yeah, he gets the whole hissing thing, which I hate. Uh, Another note is, um, not to interrupt you, but on page 10, Kurt Connors looks exactly like William Shatner. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) You have forever ruined this issue for me. I, I'm, I'm scrolling through. Oh, yes. Of, Look at that. This is long, oh, supplemental. <laughs> I've made my arm, but I've turned to this green, scaly creature. I'm Price line. Yeah, I'm, writing, I'm writing my family a letter. Take me leave. Never come back. <laughs> I can't get over that. Price <laughs> line, Nikoshi Lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, That's pretty cool. I love it. There's a lot of good art in this issue. I, I think that Dicko's like by this point really hit a stride with Spider-Man, and there's a lot of like really nice detail. Just I mean, it, I can't. It, I mean, there's a lot of like really nice close-ups, especially with uh, Kurt and uh, Martha Connors. There's a lot of really like that close-up with Jimison near the end is really detailed and nice. Like with well, the close-up to his face, so he's like, "How did you have these pictures?" And there's a lot of there's a lot of really good push and pull with um, the action scenes. So I thought that this is this is probably one of the best, like like the most completely better drawn uh, ASM issues like all together. The look of the fort always kind of impressed me. It looks like he paid a lot of attention to detail to how the thing was put together with the stones and the and the wood and the scaffolding on the insides and everything else. I I like the forest setting better than the inside the rocks. The, I mean the bricks and everything. If you're fighting a lizard, I think you know the natural setting worked better for the for the tone of the story. But he did do a good job drawing the inside of that fort. Mm-hmm. So this lizard story was the only one I knew growing up and i actually really enjoyed it uh the fight in the ruins was a little mad to me at the time but the origin story the regrowing the limb the angst with the wife and the boy this was like candy to me as a kid as far as stories go oh, and Billy then Connors, how your age is going to fluctuate 
Yes, it really is. He's a little boy, he's a teenager, then he's a little boy again, then it's like... And then when I started buying comics in 1990, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man series was running Torment, which has a... Doom, 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 Yes. He wants to rise above it all. Which has a never-ending drum meet, but also has a vicious, bestial version of the lizard that I thought was one of the coolest things ever. I loved that lizard. So these were my two lizard stories. And I thought he was one of Spider-Man's best villains. And then I started reading some of the other back issues over the last couple years. And I've had a chance to read some other lizard stories. And um, he's not really as cool in some of those. I like the lizard. I, 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 like, I like the fact that he's like really like... Uh, he, he's an ally of Spider-Man, but when he turns into a... Lizard, he's like a really, really vicious enemy, and um, are we really into like the whole Paul Jenkins retcon of? I was about to say that. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you know about the Paul Jenkins retcon? No. Basically, no. Paul Jenkins, he was doing this thing for a while. He did that Green Goblin story, the Death in the Family, where it basically like redefined Norman's character for a while. And then they gave him a, a relaunch of Spectacular Spider-Man, where that was what he was doing every arc. He'd, like, redefine a villain or redefine their origin, and he did Venom, he did Doc Ock. And his Lizard story was very poorly received because, well, for a few reasons, the art was horrible. <laughs> well, he had Humberto Ramos for most of that series, but the art was, like, really horrible in the Lizard series. I don't think it was Humberto Ramos then. Uh, it, it, it was, was someone who was, like, fighting Humberto. Like, that one and the Hydra-Man one, like, yeah. were, were Swiper guy. Oh, God. But uh, in that story, all of a sudden, Dr. Connors knows Peter Spider-Man out of nowhere. Uh, Apparently, Paul Jenkins said that he misread a scene between Peter and Dr. Connors in a previous (laughs) miniseries. Because Martha Connors, like, the the series where Dr. Connors died, like, Connors says to Peter, sorry about before. And they didn't interact at any other point in the miniseries. So Jenkins presumed that Connors knew that Peter was Spider-Man. So that was a big hubbubaloo at the time. But he has the lizard reveal that basically Dr. Connors was always in control. That he always was, you know, controlling the lizard. And that he just faked the whole losing control thing. And it was forgotten about. Everyone thought it was a bad idea, and it was never mentioned again. Huh. They had Billy Connors become a lizard a few years ago. Oh, that's such a ripoff of uh, Kurt Langstrom and his, and his children. Well, I mean, I always thought that Man-Bat was, I mean, pretty similar to the lizard. I always thought he had kind of an interesting parallel with the Hulk. Did you ever see, the, well, you know, the whole green and uh, purple thing? You ever see, purple pants? You ever see the, remember that uh, Spider-Man animated series on MTV where it looked like PlayStation graphics? Is that the Unlimited? I saw, no, uh, no, that's, no, that's the but, one with um, Neil Patrick Harris's Spider-Man that, that was written by... I Marvel haven't Fox. seen it. I just they, They've started putting Spider-Man Unlimited episodes on Marvel.com, so I thought that was that one. Did you see it, Don, or uh, Zach? I saw it. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. I saw Listen. the animated series that came on in the 90s, but I don't know what you're talking about. It, this was uh, around the time of between Spider-Man 1 and 2. They did a series. It was really... It was horrible by most accounts. I enjoyed it at the time, and I still enjoy some of it, but it was like they tried to make Spider-Man ultra hip. And the Dr. Connors in that was such a jerk, and he dies at the end, and <laughs> you kind of don't feel bad about him dying in that in that episode because they made Dr. Connors a really unsympathetic character. Yeah, I, I like Dr. Connors. I mean, ultimate right. Dr. Connors is kind of creepy, but this Dr. Right. Connors, you know, he's always been like a supporting character for Spider-Man. He's basically a psychic in the 90s cartoon. <laughs> A sidekick? Yeah. Oh, a sidekick. Side, sidekick, yeah. He was like a, a regular supporting character. I didn't hear yeah. the D at first. I thought you were like going off on telepathy or something. He yeah. gave away uh, Mary Jane um, at the wedding. Oh, that's sweet. Because yeah. her home life is crap. <laughs> and because there's like barely any other father figures on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and because Aunt Anna is a jerk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aunt Anna is Sally Avril in that show. 
Oh my so god, that. yeah. She's like Sally Avril aged. But yeah, you know, you know what another interesting thing is? I, I've seen uh, from Marcus. Well, I know in the comics, uh, Kirk Connors is supposed to have like, like a reddish brown hair. In the 90s show, he had pitch black hair. And Spectacular Spider-Man, he has blonde hair. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm growing up with all these different interpretations. Like, you know, what is this man's hair supposed to be? What's going on? He dyes it. Why not? He, he, to cover up he, the gray. To cover up the, the missing arm. He needs to... <laughs> he dyes his hair to cover up the missing arm. <laughs> <laughs> Divert your eyes away from my missing arm. Here's well, they had like he had like a wooden arm in the or like yeah, a metal yeah. arm in the um in the Min- CGI Min- series. Yeah. yeah. He had a prosthetic, and he sort of he does in the Spectacular Spider-Man, but you see him take it off at night. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting to watch that show if you get a chance. Just it's one of those things. The animation's okay, but like the writing is so like because. Because they had the whole oh no old people so that's why they probably killed them and there's, there's that line which I use which pretty much sums up the entire show where Harry Osborn says you should do whatever your college kid does and sit at home watching R-rated DVDs and it's like you know I, I really should be just something with my life right now oh my God Harry Osborn in there like uh, one of my criticisms of Brand New Day was that they made the Harry Osborn and Brand New Day act more like the Harry Osborn of the MTV series than the Harry Osborn of the actual comics see I yeah. haven't seen that much of a difference. But, well, in the I mean, comic books, he was—he was never like this. Like, hey, Pete, let's go. I mean, he was more—he was more of like a, like a, just like. Hey, let's get you laid, man. You know. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. See, I—I I don't know Harry Osborn from the '80s and '90s. I know Harry Osborn from the 70s and the Harry Osborn now. And, and to it me, wasn't it's, like the, what they're saying in the, in the like Brandon Day. They pretty much retconned how he was in the 70s. He yeah, was to me, like to me, it seems like the type of personality he had back then with a modern day setting. Uh, I, I, I mean, and a few more years on his life. He's going like clubbing with, you know, Peter and stuff, and there's paparazzi following him, and there's girls trying to get into his posse. In the 70s, he and Peter were meeting just the two of them at like crappy, rundown coffee shops. There was no people following him. I mean, and that's another thing. The Osbournes basically became like the Hiltons. In the old books, they were just a family that had a little more money. You know, they were kind of upper class, but they weren't like, you know, tabloid father. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you know, they're like the Hiltons. Like, there wasn't people trying to get into Harry's posse, and there wasn't paparazzi following them and like they went out clubbing like two or three times and one of them involved the hypno hustler say no more <laughs> so any other thoughts on the uh, book or uh, on on the ad after page 18 they're selling a monkey yes <laughs> yes <laughs> i have that actually in my first appearance list because the darling pet monkey ad is <laughs> <laughs> So, first appearance are Dr. Curtis Connors, his wife Martha, who doesn't get a name here, and his son Billy, and very important, the Darling Pet Monkey ad, which will be a staple of comics for the next several years that you can send off for eighteen ninety five and get a squirrel monkey. It makes an adorable pet and companion. Show it affection and enjoy its company. Almost human with its warm eyes. Your family will love it. <laughs> Almost human. Oh my god. About 12 inches high. Eats the same food as you do. Even likes lollipops. Simple to take care of and train. Free cage. Free leather collar and leash. Free monkey toy. And I have no idea what that's supposed to be. And instructions included. And this is my favorite part. Live delivery guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but they're like saying it likes lollipops. Like every single monkey's gonna like a lolly. It's like they're selling just that one monkey. I know, they're right? The traits of a sink. And it has a picture of the monkey holding a lollipop. 
how, how are they going to deliver it? Like FedEx? Or... I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say. Oh, no. There's a reason why it doesn't say. The Miami Beach, Florida Animal Farm. They're selling their monkeys. They're also selling a pet hamster in the other. Uh, that makes me wonder how many people bought those. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, really. they ran ads for years. But this is the first one that showed up in Spider-Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want a pet monkey now. I will say that my daughter, every time she notices this ad, she asks me for a pet monkey. Are you serious? Yeah, she wants the pet monkey because, you know, marketing works on eight-year-olds. Oh, this, mon- this monkey's been dead for decades. Don't tell her. We were watching a DVD the other day, and the trailers came to an end, and I was like, yay, trailer. She's like, yeah, that's how you know what to buy next. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, they've gotten to her, John. They've gotten to her. Ads in this book include Strange Tales 114, where the torch goes up against Captain America. It turns out at the end of the story not to be the real Captain America, but Stanley used this as a tryout for the idea of bringing Cap back. And I guess it was where we see, because the Avengers number four would not be slow to follow. Also, in Tales to Astonish, Ant-Man becomes Giant-Man. And I always thought it was weird that Henry Pym didn't share his growth power with Janet. Oh, well, he shared his growth power with Janet. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you do, he doesn't want his woman to be bigger than him. Well, I can see it from a storytelling point of view, like, you know, having different power sets for the two characters. But in the story, Janet has got to be like, can I grow too? And he's like, no, bitch, get away. <laughs> Don't make me slap you in a story that will be brought up a million times. Yes. The letters page had lots of love for Dr. Octopus. Also, John Black complained that Spider-Man's costume makes him look like a criminal, which I can kind of see. Dave Bibby and Ruth Green came out on the side of reason that Spider-Man should not have a secret partner. (laughs) And Alan Oberl, or maybe Oberly, wrote asking for returns of the Vulture and Dr. Octopus. So there you go, Donovan. They wanted the Vulture back, both of which would be granted, of course, in short order. We're going to have Dr. Octopus at the next month's recordings. And Paul McDonough writes to say, basically, that anyone who writes in a letter to complain about the book can go frack himself because the book is the greatest. He didn't say it in those words, but that's basically what he said. Man, oh man. He's an apologist. The people want that bald that bald guy back. <laughs> it's probably I don't, also I, I, I don't like Adrian James. He's just a, an annoying, annoying man. He killed Nathan Lebunsky. Yeah, yeah. He Nathan was a legend. He should have. He should have died himself. Nathan should have married Aunt May, and it's all the vultures fault. It didn't happen. No, if, if, Actually, if he, 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 he was dying of cancer or something anyway, though. I was going to say, once he, if in the, in the Nathan Lubonsky on May wedding, if anybody, anybody here has an uh, objection to this marriage, speak now for old peace. I do. You see, Dr. Octopus's tentacles busted the door. To be continued. Oh, no. I can't change in the Spider-Man. Aunt May needs me. Boy, this is an <laughs> ironic situation. It's not ironic, Peter. It's just inconvenient. Not everything's ironic. <laughs> it's also probably worth mentioning that the stories of untold tales of Spider-Man pick up after this issue. Yeah, I and was going to mention that. They begin interweaving with the next several issues of Amazing Spider-Man. I think they go into the mid-teens, or how far do those go? The untold tales, they go into the early 20s, if I recall. And uh, if you read those, they're, they, they're pretty good, and... 
how they weave it into each other. Like, and they do little things. Like, remember how Flash Thompson impersonates Spider-Man in issue 18? Mm-hmm. Like, they show you what happened to the costume after Flash was done with it. Jason, Ionella used it to impersonate Spider-Man and do acts of mischief. And they show Peter trying to ask out Betty a few more times between issue 6 and 7 and getting cock-blocked. Sometimes they do stuff that happens between, like, there was a whole, like, issue that happened between the panels of issue 12 of Amazing. Okay. It's um if you if you can pick those up, you know, they're it's it's pretty good stuff. I'll talk about one of the gaps that they fill in after issue seven, after you know, with the whole Betty and Peter thing after we're done with that issue too. I think oh, it was I, untold. I, know what you're I have that issue actually. Yeah. I think it was Untold Tales that features the only time that uh, Mike Allred has drawn for Spider-Man. I think it was one of the Untold Tales annuals or something. Uh, there's Mike Allred art, which is the only time he's ever drawn a Spider-Man story. Maybe it, it might not have been Untold Tales. It might have been one of those other random like web spinners or something. Never mind. I'm thinking from more web spinners. Okay. That I'm making stuff up as I go. We're going to break it off right there for this week. We will return next week to finish up this group's recording. We'll be talking about the 7th and 8th issue of Amazing Spider-Man featuring the return of the Vulture and the special dedicated to teenagers, which has the living brain and a fight between Peter and Flash Thompson, plus a backup story where Spider-Man decides to crash a party held by the Human Torch. It's all here at Amazing Spider-Man Classics. You can comment on the show at our homepage, AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. We also want to extend our thanks to Spider-Man Crawl Space for posting links to the episodes. They're an excellent resource for all things Spider-Man. And you can send us an email at AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. There's also a group page at Facebook. Just search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Here's another reason why Spectacular Spider-Man ending's gonna suck. No more Sally from that oh. animated series. Okay, do your Gilbert Gottfried Sally impression. Oh my god! No more <laughs> Spectacular Spider-Man? What's with this ultimate stuff? Oh my god! Geek! <laughs> of course I'll show you a costume slash, then you'll get that dork talker who ruins everything. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I okay. Whole podcast as Sally. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Sally Avril podcast. I'll make uh, it happen.